It's truly a delight to be with you guys at this family vacation. Uh, a year ago, yesterday, my dad passed away. And that's why I wasn't able to be here with you a year ago. Um, I wanted to start this morning, it might be a little awkward for everybody, but uh, I wanted to start this morning with maybe a little confession. And my year, that's okay, I needed to recoup anyway. Good? All right, so I want to start with a little bit of confession this morning. I wrestled all night long, literally all night long with this lesson. In fact, I scrapped the original lesson that I had and went with something entirely different. I don't know why. I couldn't sleep. I wrestled and wrestled. And I felt like I needed to confess before I even began to attempt to teach you anything this morning. So I come to you this morning in a weakness. Um, not as an expert on the subject of one family, but as a broken man who is not so much broken because my dad passed away. That was tough. But that part was actually in a way very joyous for us because by that time that he passed, I was already praying that he would go on to be with the Father. It was such a miserable existence for him. By the time he died, I was literally praying, God, go ahead and take him. And so that part of my year was difficult, and there was a lot of adjusting, and we brought my mom into our home. Um, and there's been all kinds of financial stuff going on that I'm trying to help her get her financial house in order and all those kind of things. So it's been very busy for me, but none of that really is what has been so troubling to me all year long, and really uh, for a lot longer than, than just this past year. But this past year, guys, I want to confess to you that I have struggled mightily, and some in the room know this, some are closer to me than others from Huntsville. My wife is probably the only one that, uh, that gets, gets kind of close to the internal just turmoil that I've been in over the past year. But I want to tell you, it's not disconnected from the subject matter this morning. It is very much related to the church and what I see God's vision for the church to be. It's so clear to me in the Scripture versus what I see in practice, both in my own life, in my own church's life, and in so many churches across the nation. And so when I get up here this morning to talk to you all about being one family, the subject matter is so important. And I don't know what you expected to come and have a talk about being one family. Yeah, we need to love each other and we're going to have this nice lesson. But man, I'm, I'm convicted to my core about the things that I read even just last night. But I want to confess to you I'm broken. I'm a little lost. Not my soul, okay? <laughs> I'm going to heaven, I'm confident of that, but I'm a little lost in terms of what is God's desire for me exactly? What's his desire for me and my family? What's his desire for my kids, for my mother? And um, there's been a lot of opportunities come my way. I've had job offers. I've had um, different folks saying, hey, come check us out. Hey, come visit us. Would you like to come work alongside us? And there's been a lot of pulling. I've had a lot of um, turmoil back at home trying to sort through things with my staff that I work with and with my elders, and I love every one of them deeply, and I've been wrestling with this stuff, and it's been very, very difficult. And so I'm, I come to you this morning a little lost and a little lost for words, honestly, but I want to begin praying, and if you can, if you're able and you want to, um, you can get down on your knees with me. Because Paul begins his prayer by this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. So I'm going to bow. You can if you want. And I'm going to pray through this prayer of Paul's in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to you, Father. 
You're the Father of Jesus, from whom the whole family that I'm speaking about this morning in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, God, that you would grant, according to the riches of your glory, that we as a church, we as a family, your one family could be strengthened with might through your spirit in our inner being. We pray that Jesus would dwell in our hearts through our faith. And that, that all of us being rooted and grounded in love could comprehend. Could, God, I just pray we could get close to comprehending with all of our brothers and sisters, with all the saints around the world, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love that you have for us in Christ. And God, Paul talks about it. He says it passes knowledge. That it's beyond knowledge. And I pray that you would just fill us with all of your fullness Father, don't hold back at all. Now to you, God, who are able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or dream or think according to the power that works in us through your Spirit, to you be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to challenge you to go back when you have some time and read through that prayer. And I don't know if you really prayed it or just listened to me pray it just now, but I want you to go back and, and really think through some of the, those words and ask yourself, can I pray some of those things genuinely? Can that really come from my heart? Do I even understand what I just said? And really desire for God to reveal Himself to us in a special way. You know, last night was a great lesson. David did a great job. I just met him and I'm already a fan. But he did a great job talking to us about there being one Father. But you know, like the prayer said, am I up here, by the way? I am. Wow. Wow. I'm not here, though. That's okay. I'll have to turn around. But I want you to notice something. Paul, in this prayer for the church, says he wants them first and foremost to understand what? This love. This love that he has for us. You remember last night, David said this. He says, God desperately loves you. He desperately is pursuing you. So Paul is praying, he's on his knees saying, Ephesians, I just want you to get it. Above everything else, if you could just wrap your minds and your hearts around this concept of how much God loves you. But also, guys, I want you to step back and look at this for a second. He says, I want you to know the love. I want you to know it. The love that passes knowledge. You see the two words I highlighted? Aren't they sort of the same word? How can you know a love in a way that it's beyond knowledge? How can you know something and it be more than knowledge? And I want to point out something to you. I'm not a, a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that two different words are used here. One, when it says, I want you to know, he is saying, I want you to experientially understand this thing. In other words, it's going to be something that you not just have information about and know about, but it's something that you feel, have experienced, are participating currently in. And that, folks, is how it exceeds just the next word down here for knowledge, which is gnosis. The first one is gnosko. The second one is gnosis or gnosis. I don't know how to say it. But the first one is saying, look, I want you to know it in a way where you're experiencing it. 
It's real to you. And guys, I want to be real frank with you. This is where it hits right at the heart of the subject matter that we're one family. Because I'm convinced that the number one way that we experience the love of God today is through the family that he gave us. And if you're a part of a church where this is not a reality, then you do not know the love at that level that surpasses head knowledge. And I think if that's the case, it is very sad. And we need to be pursuing this idea that God had from the beginning. It was His vision for His church to have this love as the reality among His family, among His people. When you see Jesus pray, and He teaches His disciples to pray, look at what He said. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped something. We'll get to Jesus' prayer in a second. But still on pause, look at what He says. He says, I want you to know this. Why? Why does He want them to know this experiential love? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So somehow being a part of this loving family is going to allow God to fully manifest himself in you. And until this love is a reality, until you are engaged in this love that we're going to be talking about in this true family, you're not going to have the fullness of God and everything that he wants for you. When we look at Jesus teach the disciples how to pray, I want you to notice some things. We all know the prayer, right? He says, when you pray, say this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice the very first word of the prayer he teaches his disciples. What is it? Our. Our what? Do you realize in this most famous prayer, the concept of family is at the very onset. He doesn't say your father. He says, our Father. Guys, we have the same Father. Me and you got the same Father. Me and you, bro. They don't see the resemblance. But God does. He says, that's my son. That's my son. That's my daughter. Those are my children. Regardless of what party you subscribe or ascribe to in, you know, whether you're far right or far left, whether you're a Trumpster or a Trump hater, whether you're, uh, you wish Obama could come back or whatever, it's our father and he's in control. It's all about Him as you go through the prayer. What does it say? Hallowed be whose name? The Father's name. Hallowed be His name. The only name that deserves recognition or honor or any praise is His name. If we're going to be the one family, we have to get this on straight. We can't be a people that seeks praise for ourselves. There, there's a part of me that dreads getting up and speaking almost every time I do it because I, I don't want to be in this position where people say, well, that was really good, or man, that was great. Man, just, just it's not me. Can I just, I don't know how to communicate that, but it really is not me. I mean, I, I just have His Word. That's all I've got. That's all I'm showing you. It's all Him. And any ability to, for me to get over my nerves on a stage in front of a big group of people, I don't know where that comes from. It's, it's just Him. Hallowed be His name. And notice this. Where does the church get its name? From the only one that we are to consider holy. 
Hallowed be his name. The name by which we get our name. Guys, there's a reason. There's a reason our signs on our church buildings say what they say. Right? I mean, you can call it all kinds of things. You can call it Christ Church or Church of Christ. Or, but man, it's his. It's, it's his. It's named by him. It's not the church of Mackey or Saint whoever. It's the church of Christ, church of Jesus. How would you feel if you had a son or a daughter and they took the name of the neighbor? It'd be kind of a bummer. I feel kind of bad if it was like Nathan Hitchcock. You know, my son's right over there. Wave, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan Shedd is what it is, man. That's my son. God feels that way, man. He's like, that's my children, man. They're to be called by my name and no one else's. They're my family, and God will fight for his family. Then he says, I want you to notice this. He says, it's your name. It's your kingdom. It's your will. Look at the focus of the prayer. How many of our prayers are focused on everything about God and his thing that he's got going on rather than what we got going on? How many of your prayers are about you? But man, we're the family of God. We carry his name. And so it needs to be about him. You know, what is this kingdom? I say, hey, what does the kingdom of God look like? You know what most people are say, the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? And I get these answers like, well, it's like streets of gold and the pearly gates and everything's beautiful. It's hard to describe, you know. It's not really gold, you know. We got all these answers. But that's not what I asked. I said, what's the kingdom of heaven like? I didn't ask what's heaven like. Why does everybody want to answer my question when I say, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Why do they want to answer it with answers of what heaven might look like? We're leaving out this concept that's so important of the kingdom. The kingdom means there's a king on a throne who's in charge. And guys, if we're going to be one family, everybody that claims to be a part of the family that is called by his name has got to agree to let him be in charge and surrender the throne to him. Get off of it and allow him to sit on it. All of your opinions go out the window to accept God's opinions, which are not opinions. They are truth. How else could a diverse bunch of dummies like us get together and be one family? unless we all agree that we will not do it our way based on our preferences, but we will seek the heart of God to do it His way. It's the only way we'll be one family. Too many hang-ups in the room that are not hang-ups for God. You have too many hang-ups, too many things that tick you off that don't tick God off. And you've got too many things that don't tick you off that tick God off. And so if we're going to be his family and claim his name, we better start claiming his mind and allow ours to be transformed more and more into the mind of Christ. So what is the mind of Christ? What is his expectation? You know, Starting in about chapter 14 of the book of John, you begin to see this discourse between Jesus and his disciples. And you know what he's doing? He's preparing them for his death. You get to chapter 15 very early on and he's talking about the vine and the branches and he's talking about remaining in him and staying connected. And if you do, you'll bear much fruit and all this kind of stuff. But I want you to see what he says here about what his desire is for his people, for his church. He says... If you keep my commandments, that's a conditional statement. You know what that means? That means that you've got to do the first part first, and then the second part will come. 
but you have a responsibility in the thing. If you do this, then this really cool thing happens. But the opposite is also true. If you don't keep his commandments, then all this good stuff that you want to jump to in this passage isn't going to be a reality for you. Hello? We're all about who wants to keep the commandments of Jesus. Raise your hand. Who wants to keep the commandments of Jesus? Raise your hand. Well, some of y'all are honest. Check this out. I had a student at Alabama A&M University. This was several years ago now. He came to me and he said, somebody broke into my room. Just broke into my dorm room. They stole my Xbox 360. See, it was several years ago. Not as Xbox One, not as PS4, not as Oculus Rift, but as 360. He was devastated. He's like, what do I do, Mackie? I said, you know, we're going to do something. We're going to find out exactly who did it. We're going to hunt them down, and we're going to take all your games that they didn't take, and we're going to give it to them. <laughs> and he said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, I'm not laughing. Now, I read him the passage where it says, man, if somebody takes your cloak, give them your tunic too. I said, you got a cloak or a tunic? No, but you got an Xbox and some games. You don't get to say there's no such thing as cloaks and tunics anymore. You still got to find a way to put that into practice. That's keeping his commandments. We just don't like keeping his commandments. Someone hits you on one side, turn to the other and say, put some stank on the next one. You know, that's what he says. <laughs> I want to obey Jesus' commandments. Sure you do. Till it gets real. Till somebody hurts someone that you love and then Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Are you his family? Are you just pretenders? See, if we're going to be called by his name, and we're going to represent him, then let's represent him. Let's do it his way. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Check this out, though. He says, you got to keep my commandments. And then he says, well, here it is. He says, this is my commandment that you got to keep, right? That if you keep my commandment, here it is. That you love one another. Anybody got a problem with that? Everybody good with loving one another? What about when he says, though, as I have loved you? How did he love you? We're going to talk some more about that. Look at this. John 15, verse 13. He continues. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You ready to lay down your life for your friends? What if you had a friend that was on this, uh, he was having to go get dialysis. This is a true story, by the way. I'm not going to reveal any names. There's a guy who had to have dialysis on a regular basis. In fact, there's another guy I know personally that has to go get dialysis on a regular basis. His kidneys don't function properly. Okay, not my friend, but this other guy that I know of was having this problem, and this, this fellow church member... This fellow family member, the family of God member, was taking him to the hospital every time he had to get dialysis done. Until one day, he ran across these passages that we're reading now, and he's like, you know, I got two kidneys. You're my brother. I want to give you a kidney. And he did. See, how many people want to obey Jesus' commandments? We do until it involves someone slitting me open and taking one of my kidneys. You say, that's extreme, Mackie. That brother did it. This brother is not willing to do it for my friend. 
That's why I come to you up here in weakness. I don't know what I'm doing up here. I'm not some perfect example, but I do know what the standard is. The standard is just as I loved you, so love each other. I want you to find somebody in here you got to squabble with of any kind, and I guarantee you that's happening. You probably already got on each other's nerves on the ride here. And I want, you to, I want you to sit there and think, do you call yourself a child of God the Father, the one Father? Do you call yourself by His name? And then ask yourself, have you loved that person the way that Jesus loves you? If not, then you're not plugged into this equation. You're on the wrong side of the if. Verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. There's another if statement. And then he says this, and this is in a couple of chapters before. Let me catch up my notes here. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Do you know the context of when he said this in chapter 13? Who knows what else is going on in chapter 13 of John? Somebody in here knows. That man in the back nodding his head knows. You know what he just done? He just took off his outer garment, filled up a basin of water. So by the way, when he takes off his outer garment, like the scripture says, now he looks like just the hired hand of the house. He looks like a servant. Or the word we don't like to say, slave. He looks like a slave. And he kneels down and he washes the disciples, plural, disciples, feet. Guess who was included? Judas. Guess what the text, if you go look at it on your own in chapter 13, guess what it says? He already knew before he washed Judas' feet that he was going to betray him. He already knew. So this person you got a little squabble with, they're not out to kill you, I hope. But you can't get over it? Then you don't plug in very well to this equation. Because we're called to love at no lower level than just as Christ loved us. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no wiggle room around that. That is the call if you're going to call yourself by His name. If you're going to be His family. He says this, <clears throat> by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What is he, boy, that's harsh. He says, much like our brother did last night, he said, look, you're faced with a choice. Well, here's your choice family of God or family of the devil. Family of God, family of the devil. That's the choice. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no well, I'm, I got my little Jesus thing on, you know. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I'm not like killing and raping and stuff. I'm not an alcoholic. I just I got my problems. But everybody, nobody's perfect. Man, it's a weak language. It's a weak approach to life. Admit your faults. Fight them. Struggle. War against them. But understand you're in one of two camps. And if you don't love your brother, what camp are you in? And how do we love? Just as. Not your standard. Oh yeah, I love them. I just don't like them. What? What if Jesus said that about you? I love Clint. I don't like him. <laughs> that would be awful. I don't want God to say I love him, but I don't like him. It's like he's forced to do it or something. Yeah. That's not love, man. The love that we're talking about is the same love that Jesus had for each and every one of us. And so when I tell you guys the class today is on love your brother, love your sister, that's the key. That's the number one component. You can talk about a lot of things that it means to be family. But the number one component is I'm going to love like there is no 
tomorrow. I'm going to love. And that makes us family, Jesus says. It's not love like the world gives. But it's unconditional the way that God gives. Look what he says. If anyone says, I love God, this is in 1 John also. He says, if anybody says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, he's just reminding us, in case we didn't get the last few slides, this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's no such thing as saying, I love God, I just don't like the church. I want to spend time with God out in the woods, but I don't want to spend time with the church family. That is a lie from the pits of hell if you believe that you can operate like that. It is not a legalistic law. You better show up to church every Sunday morning. That's not where we're coming from. But man, what you're missing out on if you extend the same kind of love that Jesus extended to you and and that's returned, man, you are getting the incarnate Jesus' presence right there that we all say, boy, if I had just been around when Jesus walked, then I'd have really been a strong Christian. I'd have really made some waves, you know. But he gives us this family where his love can be experienced. You can feel it. you You can touch it. You can smell it. Because it's coming from another person who's in obedience, who's called by the name of the Father. God touches us through one another. So you say, well, what's so hard about loving somebody? You know, why, why is this such a challenge? Why is this such an important topic? And you know, last night this came to my mind. This is an old quote. It says it's by Martin Luther. You know, you could probably argue it. They don't know who it's really from for real. He gets credited most of the time for this. But look at what he says. Whoever said it is pretty brilliant, I think. It says, if I profess... With the loudest voice and the clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Him, there, I'm sorry, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. In other words, let me simplify that a little bit. If I got up here and just told you all the good things that you want to hear and that you already agree with, I have not done my job. I should sit down and let somebody else give it a try. But if I can somehow, it's, 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 he's basically saying, look, get up and tick them off. Get up and offend them. <laughs> you know, Step on their toes. He's saying, look, if you're not going to get up and address exactly where the devil has got his claws in your audience, then what are you really doing? Other than maybe showing people your, your impressive vocabulary, your cute little clever illustrations. But if you could somehow get at the root of what, where the devil's got, their cl- got his claws and point it out and make you deal with it, then maybe we've done something worthwhile. So where are you? Where's your love? You the family of God? Are you playing? Because if we decide that we'll be the family of God, it's going to impact the world around us. Because the world will not see anything like it anywhere else. They'll see see cheap imitations. But if we can love the way Jesus loved in spite of all the warts that we have, in spite of all our differences, in spite of our race difference, in spite of our political difference, in spite of, I don't, whatever. If we could just love the way He loved, the world would take notice. We'd see more people getting in the water, more people taking on the name of Jesus and becoming a part of our family that's growing every day. What's the number one criticism of the church, folks? Hypocrites. 
They don't look at the church and say, man, I've never seen anybody love like that. And if that is your church and people look at it and say, I've never seen anything like that, kudos to you. Keep it up. Do it more. And I know there's some groups in here that do a really good job of that. But all of us have room for improvement in that area. I want to transition just a little bit as I close. Because there are more than just one metaphor used to describe the church. Family is something that the church is called. A body is another thing that it's called. Right? Just like we are, um, we, our body is one, but it has many members, like it's got fingers and toes and hands and arms and noses and all that stuff. He says that's, that's the way the church is. Everybody serves their own little function, their own little role, but we're all still one. And by the way, the head is Jesus. He's in charge still. He's the most significant part. But he also says, is this the right passage? I think I jumped ahead. I did. That's okay. We'll go backwards. There's some other metaphors. We've got one about the body. We've got one where we're the building. You've heard the church is not the building, the church is you. Well, that's sort of correct, but it's, we're also the building. I want you to see this. Look at this. This is, as he's preparing, this is his last prayer, really, that we have recorded before he, he then goes and gets arrested and goes to his death. And what's cool, if you notice it, you're going, you, you've been following along with me, whether you realize it or not, in, in um, uh, time sequence here. He's been leading up from chapter 14 to 15 to 16. 16, he says, look, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And they're like, what? And that's not good. No, it, it's good for me to go because then he can come. Then you get to 17 and it doesn't say the disciples went away and let him pray. It says they were right there with him. That's the way it sort of reads. It gives you the impression that Jesus just paused for a moment to talk to God in front of them. And so I believe they hear this prayer. And I want you to see what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you, Jesus said. Look at this. Jesus says a very powerful statement here. And I want you to ask yourself, can you say the same one in a prayer to God? I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What's the work that he gave us to do? Do you know? Jesus knew what the work was and he knew that he had done it. He says, I've done it. I glorified you because I did what you told me to do. Can you say that? And if not, what do we need to do? to change that. And that's what I've been wrestling with for a very long time. Is am I doing the most that I can possibly do to do what he set me out to do? And if not, why not? And what needs to change? He goes on and says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He says, I'm not just praying about my apostles. I'm praying about the people in this room right now is who he's praying for me included, he says, that they may all be what? One. Just as, Father, you're in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. In case you thought I was giving you too high of a standard. It's not my standard. You say, yeah, I know we need to be one like, like God and Jesus were one, like the Father and Jesus were one. But does this clarify it for you? He says, I'm praying that they could be perfectly one. How far away are we from perfectly one? How far are we away from any kind of one? when we really are honest about ourselves. He says, I'm praying for this standard. 
Don't sell yourself short. Leaders in churches expect nothing less. And if you've got folks that are like, but I just don't like death. Well, it's not about you, friend. The, the church isn't called by your name. Guys, there are things I don't like and I whine about it and I need to be quiet because it's not about me. Last thing. I was trying to transition to this just a little bit ago. But there's another metaphor and it is the metaphor of a building. You know, back in the day, Solomon had this temple of God, God's temple rebuilt. And this particular section of Scripture here is at the dedication of the temple where he's going to pray over the new temple that's been built. I want you to imagine with me that you are the people that built it and we are in the temple right now. Okay, except we're going to go stand outside after we put our, our animals on the altar that are going to be consumed by God and enjoyed for His pleasure, totally consumed we're going to stand outside of the temple that we built for him and with the offerings that we gave from our own possessions and we wait outside for God to come. Look at what happens. He said, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. Can you see it happening? You're standing out there and you see it. Woof. In the temple you built... The offering that you stuck up there, what are you thinking? You're like, it worked. <laughs> you know, it's like, I did it right, I guess, you know? That's what I'd be thinking. I'm like, yay, he accepted it. But look, he said, it came and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priest could not enter the house. Do you hear that? The priest couldn't get in, there wasn't enough room. Because the glory of the Lord had come and made its presence known. It filled the temple. And it filled the Lord's house. What's your goal? Is it to fill the building with people? Or with the glory of the Lord? You say, well, what does that even mean? That's so, you know... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So, um, what? Abstract. That's exactly it. You should be up here, not me. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so abstract. What is that? It's just kind of a notion. It's just kind of a saying, you know. That's not something I can really do or experience. No, man. The glory he's talking about comes from our willingness to do things His way. And the number one way He says is my way is the way of love when it comes to my brothers and my sisters and the people I call family. Just imagine this, guys. If this is true, okay, we don't have an Old Testament temple anymore, but the temple still exists. And He says, don't you know that y'all, this is the Mackie Shed version, okay, because the word there where most of your Bibles say you is actually plural, and we say y'all in Alabama, okay? We also say roll tide. I had to get that in there. So, but do you not know that y'all, all y'all, are God's singular temple? So we are collectively the temple that this passage is referring to. You're, now, there is a sense in which you individually are a temple, but that's not what this passage is saying. He's saying you collectively are the temple of God and God's Spirit dwells in y'all. And then Peter chimes in, just in case you, you might have thought Paul was off his rocker, and he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you know what Paul says? We didn't put it up on the screen. But he says, look, Peter says, y'all are all individual little stones, and collectively you make this beautiful building. You know what Paul said about that same temple that y'all make up? He says, if anybody destroys it, I'll destroy them. 
So how do you destroy God's temple if it's us? By not loving your brother. By not loving the way that Jesus loved. By setting the standard any lower than that, you have the risk of doing damage to God's kingdom. And I've got, after all that scripture, I couldn't resist. I had to have a cute little illustration. Does anybody like to play Jenga? Well, who wants to help me? All right, come up. Give me like five volunteers. Just hurry up. Whoever gets up here before Carol kills me. All right, hey, hey, make some room so people can see. And I'm going to help you all out here. We're going to start. Start it off. I'm going to take the first one because I always like to take that one. All right. Now, go ahead. Speed play Jenga. Uh, speed play. Speed play. Seriously, you got to go. Let's go. All right. I like the risk. Okay. Hey, one at a time now. All right. Speed play. There you go. Be careful. Don't knock my Jenga down now. Hey, straighten it up, somebody. Come on now. This will be the quickest game of Jenga ever. Where are y'all from, man? Y'all don't know how to play Jenga? Tulsa. Tulsa. Oh my gosh, she's right. <laughs> we don't play Django, obviously. Oh, I see, I see. All right, somebody else take a piece off. Here, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to change the game. Leave these off. Oh, It'll okay. speed it up. Okay, we'll do There you go. It. Careful. Careful, buddy. Oh, bro. All right, all right. Give them a round of applause. Y'all know how Jenga works. Y'all know how Jenga works, right? Listen. Raise your hand if you have ever been tempted to not be a part of the church. Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted. You said, look, the preacher's not interesting enough. I'm bored. It doesn't connect with me. Keep your hands up if, if I'm resonating, okay? Um, let's see, what's another reason? Give me a reason. Huh? Sloppy? Song selection. Maybe they only sing like old songs. Or maybe, maybe you're old and they only sing new songs. Right? Because that happens, you know, for the old people. They're like, man, all they sing is these ridiculous new songs. I don't know, you know. And that's the same complaint you're making when they say, man, why all these old songs? Right? What about, uh, somebody made me mad. I ain't going back. They gossip over there. Scared. Yeah, what about, I committed a sin. I don't really want to go back there because I'm ashamed. You think of it, have you ever experienced that? You ever just said to yourself, you know, I can just, I can better spend my hour and a half, two hours. I don't know how long your assemblies are on Sunday morning, but I can better spend that sleeping. And I'll just tune somebody in on the TV or on the, Radio or something, you know? Guys, I want, I want you to take a piece of this Jenga puzzle home with you if you want. But I want you to write on it how the devil has tempted you to not be a piece of this beautiful building that God is trying to make. Because you notice... Every time one piece was taken out, it wasn't so bad in the beginning, right? Nobody missed you. You slipped through the cracks. But then a second piece was taken out. A third piece was taken out. Before you know it, you begin to notice the entire building suffering. And you know what I could have done? I could have not let you take any pieces out, and I could have took the one bottom piece out because there was a missing, missing center, if I took either one of the bottom corner pieces out, what would have happened? And who is the chief cornerstone? Jesus. If you remove that piece, you lose it all. This is the passage I was actually assigned. We hadn't even looked at it. Sorry. We'll look at it. 
This is how you do something about it. Maybe you're in the audience, you say, you know what, this love thing sounds pretty good. I want to be a part of this building. I want to be something named after God, man. I want him to have my back, and I want these brothers and sisters, man. I want, I want this, man. My family life has sucked. It's no good. I want to know what a loving father is like. I want to know what being on a real mission is about. I want to know what having real purpose that like matters, not just for this little time that I'm on the earth, but I want to matter into eternity then join this beautiful family. And this passage tells us how to do this. He says, look, in this beautiful family, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. They are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. In other words, you are spiritual Jews. Sign me up. I want to be God's people. I want to be his prized possession. And here's how you do it. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children or sons or daughters. Fill in the word there. You're all sons of God, daughters of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's why there is no longer any race. You can substitute, by the way, Jew or Greek. Fill it in. There's neither black nor white, Hispanic or Asian. There's no rich. There's no poor. There is no distinction in Christ. And if you make a distinction, then don't call yourself by the one's name that doesn't. Because the church is not like the world. Do you want to be a part of it? Repent. That means change your mind. Accept Jesus as king. Accept his commands, his way of doing it. That's what repent means. And then he says, be baptized. Let me wash all that mess away and put my spirit inside of you and call you my new son, my new daughter. I love you guys. Let me know if I can help you in any way.